then how's the relationship changed after that point? Um, so he's still being the same, um, making me feel worthless. Doesn't, um, but, but he, um, constantly is questioning my choices in terms of the food that I give my toddler, the first boy. And, um, and is constantly second guessing my parenting skills and the way that I am disciplining him despite me getting professional help from people. And the way that, so because he was a troubled sleeper, I had to take him to sleep school like three times to get help and intervention. And, you know, so I'm there learning the skills, blah, blah, blah. He flits in after work, tells me I'm doing it wrong, is putting me down about it. I'm like, this is what I've learned. This is what they've suggested we try. Like, this is why we're here so we can try different techniques and see what works with him. Just him constantly just putting me down, saying, no, that's not going to work and not listening to anything that I have to say. So um, that's how it was for a really long time about everything, everything, every choice that I was making for them. So you, that, you weren't working in any capacity at all? No. Okay. No, I was just full-time mum, which I wanted to be because I didn't get that with my parents. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that constant second-guessing, putting you down and the second-guessing, I'm still already destroyed. Like, he's already destroyed me, but it's happening on an, a daily basis. And then the expectation of me to start working out, um, at the gym arises again and, you know, so then there's that pressure that I should be looking better again so he can find me sexually attractive enough to have sex with me again. It's just so fucked up. And I really didn't realise that this was happening to me until last year in April. Um And I um, had the epiphany in a supermarket <laughs> on my birthday. How did that happen? We'd just gone, um, we had already moved um, interstate and we'd been interstate for about a year and three months. And we'd just come down um, to Melbourne for a visit and um, there was an incident where he felt the need to come in and control a situation where I was, you know, it's really stupid because it's about putting on shoes for my toddler. Like he came in and and wanted to control the situation and it just exploded. I was going to take the kids for a walk and my child wasn't complying and um, I had to figure out a way to motivate him to put his shoes on but then he came in and just completely undermined me and then we had a massive argument in front of the kid because he came in, undermined me and was trying to control something so benign, which I had almost managed had he just given me a bit more time to do that. But this is the thing. He needed to control every single thing. And I was like, I can't live like this. I am having like anxiety and panic attacks and I'm not sleeping. And, and then I looked it up. I actually went to a website and looked up what is the definition of domestic violence? Because I thought 
maybe this is what it is. I mean, he's never hit me, but there's been marital rape and there's been him forcing me to have a baby and there's been so much control. So then when I looked at that, before I went to the supermarket, <laughs> great, isn't that? that I'm looking shit up before I go to the supermarket. Then I was like having that panic attack in the supermarket and bawling my eyes out going, oh my God, this is it. This is what's happening to me. No one had ever suggested it to you? I know you said that people just kept their mouth shut, but like by that point it hadn't occurred to you. No. Okay. I know. It's just, like I said, we're not living in the 60s or 50s, but it feels like you were. Mm -hmm. But it's just shocking that no one had actually said anything. Yeah. You know? Because they're all in their own little DV worlds. Like all the older people are in their DV world with their partner. You know what really triggers me? When people say things like, oh, things were better in the old days, like la, la, la. You know, marriages lasted on this shit. I'm like, okay. okay. How about you get married in the 50s? Have no choice or say over where, what you do, where you go, what you say. Get punched in the mouth. Don't have a choice to, to do anything about it. And the threat of leaving, if you d- get out alive, you literally have no money, no support. Yeah. Okay, people, how many like old farts do I know that are in their 80s and they still brawl like every day and have been miserable for like 30 years, but they stood together because of family? Like, yeah. fuck off. Who wants to live like that? Yeah. That's why things last that long. If you think it was better in the 50s, f- fuck me, man. Yeah. It, it triggers me. Like, you have no idea. Yeah. Like, you have no idea. Like, I understand now because I, I am seeing it with the extended family, like, from a different perspective. And I'm like, they should not be together. Those people should not be together. Those people should not be together. It sh- when people say that marriage, like now, you know, 50% ends in divorce, I go, yeah. Oh, it's because of Tinder or it's because of social media. No, it's because people have choices. Yeah. You know, marriage historically quickly became about control. Yeah. It became about control. Every culture across the world, right, every fucking culture across the world became about control because you were purchasing a woman and securing a dowry. You were securing land titles. And heirs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it was always – a bargaining tool for whatever reason. Yeah. That's historically speaking across the world. Anytime it hasn't been about control, it's been when, ironically, when the same sex act, uh, same sex act was pushed through because now you don't have that narrative like at all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's two isolated individuals making a decision purely based on union. Like that's ironically speaking, but it just shits me when people try to bring that shit up. I'm like, man, you have no idea. Yeah. But, you know, because I'm unmarried and don't have kids, I don't have any idea. You know what I mean? It shits me, like, hearing this shit. Yeah. Like, you were just talking about undermining, right? Yeah. I've said this to, like, people I know that have got kids and I've watched them have meltdowns in front of their kids, you know, over a disciplinary sort of thing or whatever. And I'm like, rule number one is be on the same page, Page. at least in front of the child. So the child doesn't have this... um, Dad's good, but mum's shit, or, you know, mum's good and dad's shit. Be on the same page. Then after he's, after. Yeah, after he's gone to bed, have the chat and figure it out. Like, it just shits me. Anyway. I completely 100% agree <laughs> with you there. You've got to 
be a united front, you've got to be a team in front of the kids. So they don't work out what angle to play you on as well. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, I know. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I've got the epiphany. Yeah. um, And then I reach out to organisations. Yeah. I go to the GP. I get a mental health care plan. Um, I start seeing a psychologist to yeah. start processing the trauma and what has happened to me. How much far. of this did you know? Him? Yeah. Completely nothing. Nothing. This lovely psychologist was bulk billing everything for me because um, he used to go through the bank accounts and ask me and, you know, what was this? What did you spend five, you know, like, why did you spend 50 bucks at Kmart? What did you buy? You know, like questioning me all the time. Is this transaction legitimate? Did you spend this? Where was this at? You know, just, I had to answer. Did you guys have money? Like a lot? No, no. When I, when I say money, all right, I don't mean, were so you, I, not- I don't mean were you, were you balling at the Crown Plaza every weekend? <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, we all make ends meet, right? That's yeah. the benchmark. Yeah. Were you making ends meet? Yeah. Were you able to save yeah. If you had to? Yeah. Okay. See, we like, were. when people say to me that, like, you know, because I always complain about money that I'm always broke, right? Yeah. I'm always broke. That's because everything I have is invested immediately and because I live alone. And there are things in my life that I, I don't take anything for granted. Yeah. Like, I don't. I can tell you exactly where my money went. Everything that I've ever made, I can tell you exactly where it went because I learned how to think on my feet because I grew up in an environment where money always seemed like there was none, none, not enough of it. So I never wanted to be in that situation. So I want to learn, not necessarily to always be able to make money, but to be able to manage what I have. Do you know what I mean? I understand. I completely like, understand. I could tell you right now, like when my paycheck comes in or when money comes in, I can tell you exactly where it goes. And you might say something's frivolous. You know, like I don't need my motorbike, but I like, I've always wanted one. Yeah. And it gives you joy. What's the expense? You know, like yeah. 80, 50 bucks a month for insurance, 500 bucks, 800 bucks a year for rego. Big shit. I don't have a child, so I have a motorbike. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It gives you joy. It's what makes you happy. So what I'm asking is, in your house, like for him to be micromanaging every um, transaction, was it because he was extremely frugal or was it just the point of control or was it his fears of, of like, was it not enough money to go around or just seemed like just not like another element of control? Uh, it was, um, he, he was incredibly stingy and it was... Um, an element of control, okay. but he also has um, anxiety about not having enough money. It's, so it's essentially all three. <laughs> yeah. Even Perfect. though we were fine, you know, like we were fine. He didn't need to be like that. He just, he's just like so worried, you yeah. know, like he pulls his hair out. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally, he he's so stressed, he pulls his hair out. And he's so stressed that he gorges and he forces himself to vomit at night time. Question. All of this. Yeah. Has he ever sought help for himself? Only after I left. No, no, no. I'm talking in the lead up. No. Nah. Did you ever suggest that he see anyone? Yeah. What was the answer? What was the response? Um, he's incredibly stressful and he will figure out how to manage it. And that's how he manages it. And I'm like, but those aren't healthy ways for you to manage it. It's not normal. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Did he, 
And by this point, you were numb to everything. But, I was in survival mode. Yeah. Yeah, totally but numb. were you aware that you had actual issues or were you just numb to it as if this is normal? No, I started thinking that there's got to be issues there for him to do that. And we're talking like eight years in, right? Yeah. No. No. Twelve years. Oh, so you actually went the whole stint before the epiphany. Yeah. It wasn't like it was an epiphany and then it was a slow sort of no. plan out. It was so the epiphany was last year in my twelfth year with him. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm dumb shit. Yeah. So how quickly did things move? So after that, after I started getting help from professionals and um, seeking legal aid and things like that, I started making a plan. Okay. So what was the plan? The plan was to move back to Melbourne. Okay. So you're interstate at this point? Yeah. Shit, man. With two kids. Did you have any support network when you were interstate? No. Nah, we didn't know anyone. That's what I'm saying. You didn't. You had no friends. I mean, I'm no. assuming you weren't working. No. Nah, you were at home. Correct. Isolated. This isolation is what enables them to um, gain even more control over you. Can I ask what the uh, callus was to move? Oh, their profession. Okay, so it was a work-related move. Yeah. Did you object to it? I did, but it didn't matter. I didn't matter. So this decision was just made for you and that was it? Yeah. How long was, how long, how quickly, after having it announced to you, how quickly was the move? A couple of months. So you had like three months, let's just say, to set up shop somewhere else? Yep. Who set up the new shop? He did. You didn't get a say as in no. where, who, what, nothing? No. All right, so you've been uprooted. How long were you in the state? I was there for two years. Two years? Mm-hmm. And you had the epiphany? Ha- um, a, last April. Last, last April. Mm-hmm. So then, so you made a plan to come back to Melbourne? Mm-hmm. How did it all go down then? So I knew that we were going to come down for the Christmas holidays. Yeah. And so I had requested for um, um, longer time in Melbourne with without him. So I was saying to him, um, since you need to go back up earlier for work, how about me and the kids stay at my parents' house for a bit longer? I want to be there for my sister's birthday. I haven't spent the last three birthdays with her, you know. Like, just making it look like it was believable. Yeah, did you cover story? Yeah. And then... Um, have, by this point, how much time had you spent apart? Oh, no, we were still together. No, no, as in, like, when you'd moved into state... Yeah. You knew no one. Yeah. And it's not like you had a job to be social at. So, how often did you actually do anything extracurricular outside of your house? Like, as in with other people? Oh, um... Well, Even on your own? Even on my own. So, I, uh, I used to go to the gym. Okay. So, like, that's your time? Yeah. An hour a day? That was five times a week. Five hours? Yep. Um, and then I started doing casual relief work. So, that was three times a week. Um, after my daughter turned one. Okay. That's when I went back and did that. Um, otherwise, it was just me taking the kids out to do fun stuff together. Yeah. Yep. And right. then him choosing to engage or not depending on how exhausted he was from work. <laughs> you know, because any time I did anything um, um, by myself, that didn't involve the gym because that was under his instructions, right? If yeah. it was something social for me with a friend, um, he was resentful that he was spending time with them. 
that I made him, how dare I make him spend time at home with the children by One, himself? I've said this before. One thing I really, really, <laughs> really detest, I fucking hate it. And I've pulled people up on it. Yeah. Like bluntly, like punch of the face sort of shit. I'm yeah. like, don't tell me you're babysitting your children. Yeah. They're your fucking children. That's right. Don't tell me like, what are you doing Friday night? You want to go for a beer? Oh, I'm babysitting. Oh, who are you babysitting? <laughs> oh, yeah, the kids. I'm like, they're your fucking kids. Yeah. You babysit a stranger's kids. You babysit <laughs> yeah. your nieces and nephews. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Why did you have them in the first place? Why did you want them in the first place if you I, weren't going to spend no time with them? You have no idea like how much that fucking irks me, man, because I've got so many people in my life that have struggled to have kids. Yeah. You know, or are still struggling to have kids. Yeah. You know? They would give anything. Anything yeah. to fucking have a, a child to like look after yeah. you know, and, and raise. Yeah. And you're telling me you're babysitting them. Yeah. Like, go fuck yourself, man. I know. I know. It I, used to I, I shit can't. me so much. Yeah. As I well. Like, I completely understand with you there. <sighs> anyway, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's how I was feeling. I was feeling exactly the same way that you just expressed. Yeah. They're yours. Why are you making me feel so bad? All right. So yeah. You've made your plan. You've yep. got your cover story. Yep. Um, so that doesn't come to fruition. <laughs> I was going to say. Yep. But um, but he was he was agreeable that I was able to stay in Melbourne longer. You know, that was the initial, like, he was okay with that, right? But um, while we were in Melbourne, we were staying with his parents, which was the norm that had been set up every time we came to Melbourne from interstate, we would stay there because our house was being rented out. And um, he didn't want to spend money on a hotel or anything. So that's where we were. And, um, I had to share the car with his mother and himself and, you know, me. Um, and so that was our mode of transportation. So if I wanted to go anywhere, I would have to book the car in advance with the mother-in-law and with him. Renting a car was out of the question. Yeah. Because I asked and he said, no, it's too expensive. So, um, I rang up an organization and I told them what my situation was and they said, you're a hostage in your in-law's house. Is this while you were in Melbourne? Yeah. They're like, you're a, do you see that you are a hostage? And the reason why I rang up was because he was saying that, um, COVID is ramping up. The risk is too great. We need to leave next week. And, um, it doesn't matter about staying in, um, doesn't matter about staying in um, in Melbourne any longer. Like um, we we should buy tickets and and go back up. And I was like, no. I was thinking, oh my god, he's going to force me back on the, the plane. So you were by yourself at this point. He'd already gone back. No, no, we were still together. It was earlier. Like it oh, was. So he, it was he in hasn't early. Flown back yet? No, he hasn't flown back yet. But he was planning to leave. Um, mid-January, all of us, instead of me staying oh, later. I was going to say, how long was the initial stay? Um, so we got there mid-December and um, I was going to, I was hoping to stay until the end of um, Jan- January. I was going to say, yeah. I'm guessing the two weeks that everyone sort of takes off during yeah. Christmas and yeah. then you were going to go back, like start a school sort of shit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, so I had already moved our stuff over with the organisation. Um, so what? Yeah, so in the apartment that we were staying in, I, like, took all the kids' clothes, toys, books, and some, um, you know, Bessemer 
stuff, good old um, cooking <laughs> things that were mine that, you know, like Best I summer. brought into the marriage, <laughs> right? That was my shit and that's, that shit's expensive. I'm not letting that go. I used to walk past in Wavos. <laughs> I used to walk past the Bessemer like um, display like they yeah. used to have in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I and here's like a guy about. covered in tats, like mohawk, just like. Is he selling ru- rubber, shit? Rubber necking at the stand. Like, hey, <laughs> that's cheap. <laughs> like, just look at him like, what? <laughs> like, oh, nothing, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, it's good stuff, right? <laughs> so I'm not letting that go. He's not inheriting that. It comes with me. So, like, I, I got this organization to secretly move my shit. I had six boxes packed without him knowing on a, on a day off of mine that I had to argue with him for three weeks about, by the way. What do you mean? Oh, because, like... um. I was working three times a week with casual relief. Yeah. yeah. And um, then the fourth day of the week, I was at home with the kids. And then I was like, no, no, I need that fourth, you know, like the kids need to go in for care um, four times a week so I can have a day to myself, you know? And, and he was like, no, why do we need to spend that much money? You know, like, why should we spend uh, uh, your, your wage isn't going to cover that. And I'm just like, you're making more money than me. So, like, why does it matter? Like, you're going to cover it anyway. It didn't compute in my brain. It was just another form of control because it's like, what is she going to do on that day off? I'm not going to be able to, you know, keep tabs on her. Who's she going to see? What's she going to say? All that kind of stuff, right? Question, and I want to ask this before, but we got sort of sidetracked. Yeah. yeah. Did he ever, like, was was the, th- the idea of you leaving him in any way? Ever in his head? No. Because it sounds like yeah. <clears throat> the thing with narcissistic sociopaths yeah. is that they, they're very they're arrogant yeah. right by nature, but they're fucking cowards and yeah. they're insecure as anything. Yeah. It's the biggest irony and it's the biggest hypocrisy, right? It's just completely like, you know. Um there's another word that I want to look. Oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um all these are just classic sort of standard behaviors, but that's what I'm saying. Like the f- element of control, surely in the back of his mind, he's thinking that you could up and leave at any point. Or yeah, you might he meet someone. He never voiced or- it, right? Okay. And then even when I had packed up the clothes and sent him in a shipping container to Melbourne, um, he was asking me, where did the clothes go? And then I said, well, I donated a heap. Because I had, and I'd given him like two big garbage bags of clothes to give to his friend who was about to have a baby. Yeah. So like, that's how I like sold a lot of that. And I said, you know, I've donated a lot. Um, and a lot of it is in Ziploc bags. So it doesn't go moldy while we're away. Right. So I'm so lucky that he was so distracted and so busy with his work at that point in time that he didn't push too much and question me further. Otherwise... They all seem pretty reasonable explanations. Yeah. But, like, if he pushed more, maybe he would have been able to figure it out. And if he actually investigated to see where those Ziploc bags were, where those vacuum bags were, like, if he saw that they weren't actually in the cupboard, you know, then I would have been in trouble. He would have figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I managed to move that stuff. Obviously, I didn't break... I didn't take furniture... Um, I couldn't do that. That would be way too obvious. So I just took what I could and moved it down Section to Melbourne. Section of the couch is missing. Like, <laughs> what What happened to the couch? Where's the dining table? Mold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. 
so then, um, so I had that stuff and that was at my parents' house just waiting. And, um, wait, were they aware of all this? Yeah. Okay. So since April, like since April last year, um, started talking to friends about this and, and okay. That's something we should probably sort of explore a bit. How'd your parents take everything? Oh, they were horrified at the thought. But they've full well been engaging in the same shit for like five decades? Exactly. So if they condone my behaviour, then mum should also leave. <laughs> you know, like mum should leave the DV relationship that she's in. Have you in. brought that up? As in, have you pointed back at him and said, yeah, this is where it came from? Yeah. What do they say? Well, not to my dad. Can't have that kind of confrontational um, conversation with him. But to mum, yeah. And mum admitted that she wished that she'd left so many times. But she just didn't have the strength or the courage to do it. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. You know what triggers me? And this this is something that, like, maybe it's just the depth of my, like, insanity. I always get triggered when I see, like, on Instagram and stuff, when you see the dad, dad in dad mode shit on, like, you know, moving day or family holiday or something and it's like and they've got like the trader joe's theme song playing in the background so it seems really wholesome and light and it's usually a picture of like this this white guy in shorts holding onto like his family's all his family's passports right boarding Mm. shit it's like dictating what time they get up who doesn't have breakfast shitty toxic like traits all day like oh pissed off because someone's late Mm. Just checking and rechecking like documents. It's and I was looking at it like that is fucking control, you dumb fuck. Yeah, that is an arrogant man thinking he still runs his twenty-five-year-old kids' lives. Like it pisses me off. Yeah. It shits me every time. It's like oh, it's just dirty dad mode. It's like no, fuck off, man. Yeah. It's like oh, moving today. Dad helping me move. Dad in dad mode here at the crack of dawn, telling me how to pack boxes, do this. I'm like, tell the cunt the fuck off. Yeah. You do it yourself. You know how to do it. You Ask him for enough. advice, but don't sit here and take the back seat like you're 13 years old <laughs> and you've got a grown man telling you not to take a piss because you're running late and you're going to miss a plane that's taking off in four hours. That's not cute. That's toxic, yeah. you dickhead. Yeah. It's shit. I don't know why. Like, I get right up over the smallest things now. <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> oh. Anyway, okay, so you've opened up to your family. They're aware. Yeah. They're aware of your plan. Yep. What about your friends in Melbourne? Completely 100% supportive. Okay. Yep. All right. So we're talking about April to December. Yep. Shit's come to Melbourne. Yep. You guys come to Melbourne. Yep. You've reached out to organizations while you're here. Yep. He's making the plan for all of you to go back because of COVID. Yep. COVID. Yep. Then what? I ring up um, an organization and I tell them my situation and I'm in hysterics because I'm thinking he's going to force me back on the plane. Yeah. And obviously that's not what I want to do. So I need support. And they're like, we have to extract you now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm Black, like, Black Hawk down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but I don't have an emergency bag packed. You know, like I don't have any clothes. I don't have toothbrushes. I don't have their water bottles. I don't have, you know, nappies, like enough nappies to get me through however long I'm going for. And they're like, no, you're in an unsituation unsafe situation your freedom has been taken you are in a hostage situation we must extract you now and I was like that was like big shock like I didn't realize that it was a hostage situation I knew it was bad because like you know 
I wasn't really, oh, every time I was on the phone while I was at my in-law's house, he was getting angry with me for being on the phone and he would stand in the room and wait for me to hang up or listen in on the conversation that I was having. And he would try to get into my phone as well, but I changed the passcode in April. Like once someone said to me, they might put bugs and stuff on your phone yeah, to track, track you and stuff, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I was like, oh crap, he always uses my phone. He always picks up my phone and goes through my messages and my email and stuff. And because I started engaging with them and they were like, the organizations were sending me emails. They're like, change your passcode so he can't get in. Did he never question that? Oh, he used to be like, what is it? And I'm like, um, you can't use my phone. Go, I'll bring you yours. I used to, and then like, that's what I changed doing in April. Like once I started engaging with yeah. them and they told me to, to be um, electronically safe or digitally safe. That's a big, wouldn't that mean a big flag? I didn't, I thought, you know, like I've got nothing to hide. I'm not having any affairs. I don't, I'm not, I don't have control of our money. So I can't like do any gambling or anything like that. Like there's nothing, to, you know, I didn't think for me. That your, it your, was... your gambling didn't happen in electronic form. <laughs> well, we had cash at the cockfights. <laughs> you know I mean? 50 on blue over there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like I didn't think that, I thought all couples just looked at each other's phones. No, no. I haven't got a problem with the f- looking at the phone thing, right? As in like, I get it. You putting a passcode on your phone for the first time that he can't get through to you, wouldn't have been a flag for him. Oh no, I already had a passcode, but he knew it, so I had to I had to change it to something that he didn't know. Yeah, but yeah, didn't he use your phone or go through it after that? No, no, because I started because I started saying boundaries. I started putting boundaries up about it and saying, no, you can't use my phone for that. I'll go get you your phone and you can use your phone for videoing or taking photos of the kids. Okay. Yeah. Or whatever it was. Because even though he would take a photo and a video, then he'd just like go yeah, into, go through the f- Yeah. Like use it as an excuse sort of to, to go in and do that. And so then I stopped that and, and yeah, went, got up and got him his. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like he didn't, th- I guess he didn't think about it because that started happening in April and it was December. So it was already happening for a couple of months and maybe he'd had accepted that as the new normal. Okay. I've got to ask, this is something that we didn't, you didn't actually clarify. Yeah. What was your plan once you stayed, like before December, what did you actually plan to happen once you got to I Melbourne? I was never going to go on the plane. And go back. What were you going to do? I was going to stay in my parents' house and I was going to um, call him up, call him up on the day that he would have expected our, um, you know, plane to land. And I would have said it's over. Like I would have just done it like that. Okay, so that's what you were going to so, move because st- I was petrified. Sorry, I didn't explain to you. Like by the time, um, you know, April had come along, he started getting more aggressive. Like with the, you know, furniture. Um, pushing and the bench slapping and things like that. And I'm tiny and he is massive. And he also has a black belt in Winchun, whatever, I don't know. Some, some martial arts. Some art. martial arts, right? So he has the skills and the know-how on how to, you know. He's physically imposing. Yeah, exactly. And so I started getting really, really petrified. And because he's so narcissistic and so egotistic and so controlling, I didn't know whether my life was safe anymore. And I thought that um, if he wanted to or got wind of this, because his reputation was so important to him, 
um, and if I tarnished it in any way, so me leaving would be tarnishing to his reputation. I thought he was going to kill me. Like, and I couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares and I couldn't sleep the whole time that I was up there sharing a bed with him. I thought, you know, one day he might just go get a knife and just stab me. Like I was so petrified. Um, and so I had to keep everything really, really hush hush. And that's why I needed to do it safely. So in my brain, it was like, if he's already there and I'm in Melbourne and I let him know over the phone and he has to start back at work. He doesn't have a chance to come back, you know, not for a while. So that's how I thought it would, it would play out. Like I would be safe that way. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, because they were like, no, you've got to leave early before he forces you back on a plane early because you're in a hostage situation. We have to extract you now. They did it for me, I guess. I got the support from this organization and they, you know, helped me like, I guess, he would know because he would have been expecting me to come back from visiting my parents. Um, and obviously I didn't turn up and I had to dump um, my mother-in-law's car at the police station. Okay. So what actually happened? Oh, extraction day. Like, extraction just, day. Yeah. Right. So I'm at my um, mother's house. I have the kids there. Then my um, wants to come meet up and she is a social worker. So, she was in on these conversations and plans and, and, you know, was like, oh, thank God you've woken up kind of thing. You know, when I finally told her in April, like, yeah, she was like, I told, you know, like, there you go. We've, we've, you've got this established. Now let me tell you what you need to do. Like, let me help you. Call your friend. And she, um, she's like, okay, well, let's find a place to rent. Like she was just trying to help me find a place to rent. So I wouldn't have to stay at mum and dad's for too long. Yeah. But then she was like, no, let's get some advice from, can I say the organization's name? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Safe steps. She's like, let's call up safe steps and, um, let you, you know, like see what they think about this. Because she's like, I'm worried that he might make you go back, you know? So let's see what they say. And they were like, you know, we're worried that they're going to take, he's going to take you back on the plane earlier. Like in, in, you know, four days time, you're going to be on a plane back to interstate. So because like the intake form and like, telling the story took a little while. It was like six o'clock at night when um, we finished the conversation and she was like, so would you have been expected to come home by now? And I'm like, yeah, definitely because we've got to feed the kids and whatever. And then she's like, okay, well, um, you're already in a dangerous situation because he would have expected you back. Right. She's like, I think the risk management and the way that, He's being aggressive. You guys have been fighting a lot while at your mother-in-law's. The hostage situation has happened. We need to get you out. So she's like, um, go to the police station. Um, we will send a taxi for you and the children and um, just leave the, the keys to that car um, and tell the policeman an hour after we've left to call them up and come and get their car. And so that's what I did. What was the explanation they were giving to come and get their car? Nothing. They were just calling up and saying, I have a car left. You need to come. It's registered to you. Um, I understand that this is 
you know, you're the owner of the car and I've been told that this is your number. Um, come and, come get, and get the it. Yeah. And then that's it. So where'd you guys go? They took us to a hotel in the city. Okay. Yeah. And what happened? So it's just me and the kids with the clothes on our back in a hotel in the city. And um, they're not understanding what's going on. Their behavior's out the window. I'm full of emotions. Um, and, you know, they say that they'll give us food, but they bring the food like menu log gets us the food at like 930 and that's way past the kids' bedtime. Like at that point, they're so overtired and they're jumping around and, you know, I'm worried about them opening up the door and getting out onto the balcony and all that kind of thing. There's no Netflix. It's just free-to-air TV. So they're like, why isn't this show happening? You know, like they're... <laughs> yeah, the kids. Yeah, the kids. And, you know, there's nothing on good at 9.30 for kids. So it's like... I mean, Sky News has got a thing at 9.30. <laughs> so it's like... Oh, Don't you want the latest update of Afghanistan and uh, Trump's, <laughs> Trump's latest thing? So, yeah, well, it's just like, what do I do to keep them entertained in this tiny hotel room? It was just really, really stressful, really awful. Um, and I'm like, so where is a person, like a human to actually talk to? And they're like, oh, no, we do everything over the phone now because of COVID. Yeah. And that hadn't been explained to me that there, you know, that there weren't going to be people there to support, like actual human beings you had to just call and sit on the wait line for a really long time before they picked up. Um, so, you know, food came at 9.30, pyjamas and toothbrushes and things came at like 10.30. The kids fell asleep at 11. Yeah. It was um, pretty horrific. And then when I found out that the person that was supposed to come over and help me with, um, sorry, the way that I was supposed to put an AVO on, um, wasn't explained to me clearly as well, or maybe it was, and I was just so triggered I didn't under I like didn't understand. But um, they're like, we're going to do this all over the phone, and you're going to do it online on your on your phone. And I was like, I can't sit here and try and do this while my children are running around. Um, you know, like this is not the ideal situation. So I just asked them to send me a taxi and take me to my parents' house where I would have been able like, at least have a bit more support. Yeah. Yep. What was – your phone wouldn't have been blown up by now? Uh, I blocked him. Was that as soon as you got picked up or how – Yeah, like- so they told me um, when I got off the phone to them um, to block him so then he can't get through. Okay. And then I told – obviously mum knew what was happening, so I said to her, can you – you know, you and dad need to block him so he can't, like, call you guys. Did he actually get a hold of you via, like, you know, his, your in-laws or someone else? Um, well, my in-laws didn't know because – oh, they didn't They didn't try. They My in-laws didn't call my phone, but I blocked them anyway. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking about that. So I, I blocked all so I figured, his like, once the cops – once I had to go to the cop shop to get a car, surely something would have happened. Yeah. Okay. So, so he, they didn't try and contact – well, yeah, it didn't show that they were trying to contact me because it didn't come up in the call log. Basically, social media, all that? No. Nah. Blocked everything? Yep. Okay. So then what? Like you're in the, you've gone to your parents? Yep. And then um, then I – and I didn't realise – I forgot to block him off um, WhatsApp. No. 
right? that, that old chestnut. Yeah. yeah. So then I get these um, long text messages from him, like saying that um, he loves me and he can't believe that this has happened and, like, he swears he'll change and he doesn't even know, like, what happened or you know, like he was just really like in shock and didn't understand what was going on and why did this happen? And he knew that we were in a bad place, but he just didn't know how bad it was. Hasn't been right from day dot, bro. Yeah. See, I've I've fucked up in like my life, but I'm well aware of how I fucked up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Fully aware of how I fucked up. Yeah. That's what always. That's always what gets me when someone's like. Oh, what do you mean? Things were fine. Oh, yeah, maybe we have some arguments, like arguments. What do you, what do you, I haven't left the house in 12 years, bro. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's astounding. Okay. So you never actually had a standoff with him. You just got whisked away. Yep. Blocked him, and then he sort of put the pieces together. Yep. Okay. So you're in Melbourne. Yep. You're at your parents. Yep. Did you respond to any of his messages or? Um, well, I... I unblocked him and I called him and that was with the intention of, um, you know, telling him that it's over and that I intend to stay in Melbourne and I want him to go back interstate and, um, you know, that we need to figure out parenting plan and, and like start the process. But he was really upset because he was like, well, I haven't had a chance to rectify any of this and I don't even know like why you're so upset and why you left. And so I had to explain to him like your controlling behavior was what, you know, and it's funny because four days, well, six days before I left, I had this argument with him, like massive screaming the roof off at my in-law's house. And I said to him, stop fucking controlling me and he's just like what do you mean I'm like you won't let me have a car you don't want to go rent a car because it costs too much money you're making me live in this fucking house with your fucking parents who I fucking hate and you know that and yet you're still forcing me to do that even though it's impacting on my mental health and my happiness you know Yet you still do it because the cost of an Airbnb or a hotel is just too much for you to bear. So money is more important than you. You keep putting money in front of me. You know, like that's what I was screaming at him about and how like unhappy I am and how unhappy I've been and that you, he's always controlling me every single thing that we do and that he won't let me be on the phone. You know, like, why can't, you're not letting me go see my friends because I have to book the car five days in advance because your mother might be using it or you want to use it. How the fuck am I supposed to communicate with my friends? I'm in Melbourne. Like, I haven't been down for six months. I want to see my friends, you know, and you're stopping me from doing that. Yeah. It was just like, you know, it had come to a snapping point for me. I was like, this is just so wrong. Like, how did he not see a week before that that's what I was so miserable about? And then when he's like, I can't believe that you would just run away just from that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, it's been 12 and a half years of abuse, man, that has just been growing and growing and growing and just escalated once I had our first baby. 
and then just got worse and worse and worse. I'm like, you've destroyed my soul. I can't be near you anymore. Yeah. Okay. And so then after that, um, I agreed to meet him in a park in like a, a Big public open space, area. Yeah. yeah. And which I knew would be busy. And then like, I just went through everything with him. I talked about the marital rape. I talked about the reproductive coercion. Um, I talked about um, the controlling, the constant controlling about my image, the sexual rejection, the, um, you know, like how he wanted me to look, how we would go out. Someone would ask me a question and he would answer for me. You know, like all of that, all that social humiliation, all those put downs, all, you know, everything. I just said, you did this and this and this and this and this. And then it was like a massive shock to him. Like he was like, I didn't mean to do all those things. Like he was saying that he didn't mean to do any of those things. And I'm like, but when you're putting me down, how does that not compute in your brain? Like you're consciously forming these words together into a sentence and you are putting me down. How do you think it's going to make me feel? You know, I just was flabbergasted at the extent of his ignorance or his claimed ignorance, you know. Um. And so after that, he was just saying that um, he was going to go do therapy. And I said, yep, you definitely need to go do that. You need to, you know, you have a lot of issues that you need to work through. Um, And then we sort of just made a a plan about how he was going to see the children from then on. And, um, and, and yeah, that's it. And so after therapy, like he's, he had a few couple sessions of therapy and he told me that, um, even though he didn't mean to do what he did, um, it doesn't mean that he shouldn't apologize for the damage that was done. And so he felt like that was a massive revelation on his behalf that he needed to apologize to me for what he, he, he's done despite not being conscious of it and not doing it on purpose. Do you feel that was sincere? Yeah, I do. But I still, like, I don't know. I'm really self-aware. Like, I just don't understand. If I'm going to be a bitch to someone, like, I purposely calculated in my brain and I, you know. No, it's an active thing you're saying. Yeah, exactly, right? But I don't do that very often because I'm not like that. But, sure. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'll ask your peers and uh, your colleagues. That is a maniac. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Comes in on Monday morning just throwing weight around, smashing mugs. <laughs> I just didn't understand how he, I just didn't understand how he thought like that. And I don't know if that's just how they are or if that's his excuse or. Self-awareness is not the trait of a sociopath. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. just not. Right. Like you said, this is normalized from day dot like it was normalized for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's a product of his environment. And I'm I'm a big believer in that, that you can be a product of your environment. Yeah. But it's on you. To make the change. Yeah. yeah. Like I've always said, you know, number one priority for every individual on the planet should be constant growth. Improvement. Constant improvement. Yeah. Working on yourself. You yeah. know, that needs to be Paramount. the priority. Yeah. You're never perfect ever. And we're never going to be perfect, but there's always better ways we can handle the situation. Yeah, I agree. You know? Yeah. Okay, so you were in Melbourne the entire time, staying with your parents. Yeah. He's gone back, obviously. Yeah. And then, like, how quickly did you move after that? Like, what were you doing? Like, just setting up shop, basically, again? Yeah. How, like, and then all the organizations, like, they were all on board. Like, they all sort of helped you. 
<sighs> some of that was a bit of a struggle. So I realized that, um, in order to get attention and to get resources thrown your way, because everything is so underfunded and so understaffed, you have to, um, like really advocate for yourself, really, really show that you're in a high risk situation and, um, that they need to help you because I had to call a couple of times that there's really, really limited, um, organizations up where, where I was living. So, um, in order to get their attention, I really needed to let them feel my despair and, um, really listen to the high risk situation that I was in or, or that I believed that I was in, um, with the whole rape, like, you know, he was saying, I'm going to have time off work. The kids are going to be in daycare. We're going to have a lot more time together. We can use this time to reconnect and be together. And at that point that was in September and I'd already made my decision to leave. Right. So I was like, there's no way I want to be intimate with you and I don't want to be raped again. So I had to go to this organization's place, secret location that, um, I had found out because I'd have had a previous meeting with them and I had to just cry and like tell them I'm at risk of rape. I need your help. Help me figure out a safety plan. Help me figure out what to do. And then that's when I got a case manager assigned to me and um, they were helping me figure things out. How about like your finances and stuff while you were here? Here in Melbourne right now or over there? When it happened. Like once you moved, once you made the decision to not get back on that plane. Yeah. Like how did you sustain, like like your kids would have had to like transition straight into like a new school or like what, what were your first steps? Um, so because I had used safe steps and I'd already gotten the organization from interstate to hook me in with um, the other organization that's around, which is called, um, Orange Door. Um, I had been on the phone with them to help me figure out like where to go and what to do and things like that. Um, I had already saved some money because I was doing casual work. Um, and when I had that massive conversation with him at the park, he transferred a, um, a sum of like money a lump sum. Yeah, yeah, from our joint, well, our savings account. Um, and he allowed that to go into my account to look after the kids and me. Was the questioning and everything all just stopped after that point? Yeah. How'd you feel? How did you feel even just moving to that hotel in the city? Scared. That's but it? But I knew, oh, I was so scared. I was so scared about my, the fear of the unknown future was really, really scary, but it wasn't as scary as going back to that interstate place. Did you at all feel liberated? Yeah, I did. It was a mixture of scary and it was a mixture of like, like a bit of excitement, I guess. And like, finally I'm doing this. I've been thinking about this for so long. Now there's action, you know, but yeah, it was just like, which fear is worse, the fear of going back or the fear of the unknown future? And it was like the fear of going back was way 
way worse. Being trapped there and not having the courage to leave again was paralyzing, way more paralyzing than I'm free. And even though I don't know what's going to happen, at least it's going to be on my terms. Yeah. You know, and I get to decide. After 12 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking huge. Yeah. So, like, if that's all happened, mm-hmm. right? How do you explain to your kids? Oh, they're young. Didn't need to be explained? No. Nah. Okay. The only thing I said was um, my little boy asked me, why is dad up there and we're here? And I said, because he's working. And he's like, but couldn't we have stayed up there with him since he's working like we did the year before? And then I said, well, daddy didn't treat mummy very nicely and mummy deserves better than that. And so that's why we're here and he's up there. And then he started crying and he said, has he learned his lesson? And I said, I hope so. And that was it. That's it? Yep. That was it. And I didn't want to give him, because he's only four, like I, I need to give him age-appropriate details. Yeah, 100%. And I don't also, I don't want to demonize the parent. You yeah, know? No. Like you're being better than most people, I'll tell you that. Yeah, but that's all I've said. And it's only happened once. In Imagine the- you pouring a scotch and lighting a smoke. <laughs> well, son, let me tell you. All right. Yeah. How about like his relationship with his kids now? Um, he is fine and he doesn't resent spending time with them because he realizes how precious it was, you know, and he doesn't make me feel resentful for not being there. Yeah. Have you gone back? Like, how did you get the rest of your stuff up there? Or did you just leave it all and start again or? Oh no, he sent them down for me. Okay. He sent some things down, not everything because he needed it, but, um, yeah, I got sent whatever I couldn't, you know. And um, and then also there was some of um, our stuff was being stored in my mother-in-law's house. So I had to organise um, movers to go to that place and get it. <laughs>